passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Before we jump into looking at God's Word, I want to ask you a question. Uh, if you know of the Rosenbergs, and if you heard the, about the Rosenbergs, Julius and Ethel, you, some of you have, and I can tell, and the reason you, you know that is because maybe you're a little bit older, and you remember the Rosenbergs, and I got a good laugh out of that one, uh, but they were around in the 1950s. Julius had access to U.S., top secret U.S. military information. And what most people didn't realize is Julius and Ethel were communist sympathizers and they were Russian spies. Julius accessed U.S. sonar information, U.S. radar information, uh, jet information, and gave all of it to the Russians. But maybe most importantly of all, he accessed designs for the nuclear weapons of the United States and turned them all over to the Russians. And the interesting part about that was at a time when nobody else on the planet besides the United States had nuclear weapons. They were instrumental in kicking off the arms race between the United States and Russia from that point forward. As you can guess what happened to them, the United States eventually caught them, and they were both executed for betrayal, for high treason of their country. And most of us would think that's probably the right thing to do. I mean, they turned over top-secret U.S. military information to the Russians. But the question I have for you is this. Have you ever felt like maybe the Rosenbergs? Have you ever beat? trade someone in a bad way, in a serious way? Have you ever betrayed God, made promises to him, and then turned around and, and broke them? Have you ever denied even knowing him when you're around your friends under pressure because you didn't want to stand out and, uh, and maybe face the consequences? What does God do with betrayers? How does Jesus handle those who turn their back on him? That's what we're going to find out this morning in our study of God's Word. Last week, I wasn't able to be here. At the last minute, we had a COVID scare in our family. And thankfully, by the way, everyone's doing well today. Everything's fine. But because of that, uh, I had to ask Pastor Jordan to uh, jump in at the last minute. And that's one of the great parts about being a multi-site church is we could do that. And so Pastor Jordan filled in. I was able to watch online like those people who watch online. And it was a great experience. And Jordan did a great job, as he always does. And he introduced us to, first of all, Judas and the woman who anointed Jesus with, with, with nard in Mark chapter 14, the first 11 verses. This morning, we're going to continue our study. We're going to be in Mark 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to those verses as we prepare to read them together. There's going to be two big things happening in these verses. Uh, one is that Jesus is going to take the Passover that he's going to celebrate with his disciples, and he is going to repurpose the Passover 
into the Lord's Supper that we celebrate every month together. And that's going to be an exciting thing to look at. The other thing that will happen in these verses is Jesus will show us how he handles betrayers, those who turn their back on him. Because there's actually three betrayals that take place. One is going to be Judas. The other is going to be the other disciples who will all fall away. And then will be Peter who will deny even knowing Jesus three times. We'll see how Jesus handles those who turn their back on him. We're going to study, uh, we're going to read all the verses, but as I said, we're going to study the, the first set of verses and the last set of verses. The middle set that has to do with Passover, we're going to save those all, by the way, for next week. So we're going to take this chunk of text in two weeks, not just one, focusing on that Passover section next week. So go ahead and stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along in your copy of the Word of God as we read Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 31. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and they were reclining at table and eating. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink it again, drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. 
And they all said the same. That ends the reading of the word of God. You can be seated. As we look through these verses, we're going to look through them under three headings. First, we're going to see how Jesus set up the Passover in secret and why he set up the Passover in secret. Then we're going to look briefly at the Passover, which he changed to the Lord's Supper, which I won't spend much time there because that's going to be what we look at next week in greater depth. And then we're going to see that while all of the disciples fall away from Jesus, Peter even denied Jesus but Jesus never failed them. So let's go ahead and begin at the top of your outlines. Jesus set up the Passover in secret. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover took place right next to one another. So typically, people just called it by shorthand, the Passover. And what we need to observe here is the chronology. This is taking place on Thursday. If you've been with us in this study, you know that at this point, Jesus is in the final week of his life. This is an event that will take place on Thursday at this time. But and Mark says, by the way, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb on Thursday. But here's where the challenge becomes in. If you go to the Gospel of John, which we studied as a church a few years ago, John is adamant that Jesus died on Friday afternoon when the Passover lambs were being slain at the exact same time. So here all of a sudden we have what looks like a contradiction. Mark says that the Passover lamb was slain on Thursday and Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples. John says that Jesus was slain on Friday and excuse me the Passover lamb was slain on Friday at the same time that Jesus died. Which one is right? Well, there's tons of scholarly research that has been uh, written on these particu this particular difference between the two Gospels. And I'm going to just cut to the chase and just give you what I think is the easiest and the best answer. One of the things we've learned is that at this time, I mean, Passover was extremely well attended. Historically, we've learned Josephus says there's over a quarter of a million people that would be in Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. Jerusalem is not that big. Putting a quarter of a million people in it is a lot. There is historical evidence that what they had begun to do is separate the celebration of Passover into two days because they couldn't do it all in one day in that location. The Jews from the north in the area of Galilee came to Jerusalem and celebrated on Thursday, had their Passover lamb sacrificed on Thursday, ate it on Thursday night, the Jews from the southern part of Israel in Judea, they celebrated on the traditional day, which was on Friday. Had their Passover lamb sacrificed Friday afternoon. Ate their Passover Friday night. Where does Jesus and his disciples come from? The north, Galilee. So what would have been the proper day for them to celebrate Passover? Thursday. What would have been the traditional day when the Passover lambs were sacrificed and slain? Friday, at the same time Jesus died. 
But what I can tell you is that Mark and John are not in conflict with one another. Usually when you see these kind of conflicts, it's a matter of time until you have more evidence so you can see that the Word of God always proves right. And this is one of those occasions. So we see that um, this is actually going to happen on a Thursday. And the disciples ask Jesus at this point, where should we go to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Um, here's where we need to get a little bit of interesting background. What has been going on is Jesus goes into Jerusalem during the week. He's always taught during the week around the vast crowds. And then you remember what would happen. Every night, Jesus would leave town, and he would go out to Bethany, where he would stay outside of town, which makes good sense. There's huge crowds. There's not really enough motels for anybody to stay there. So what do you do if a, a, all the sleeping quarters are taken up in one town? You go to the smaller towns outside, just like when you would travel and have those same things happen with motels. That's what Jesus has been doing. But here it gets different because what's happening is Passover, according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, must be eaten inside of Jerusalem, and it must be eaten there at night. So this will be the first time when Jesus will be in Jerusalem in the evening. And this brings us to an interesting wrinkle, uh, the story that is very helpful to know. I wasn't able to share it with you last week because I wasn't here last week, but this is a very important backstory. Last week, in the first 11 verses, what happened is Mark introduced us not just to the woman who anointed Jesus with perfume, but also to Judas, who would betray him. What we don't realize in Mark, but we quickly realize if you go to the parallel accounts in Matthew and especially in John, is that when Mark tells us that story last week, it was not taking place at that time. John, who tells us the same account, says this happened six days beforehand. What happened at that time is when Judas saw Mary, who was the one who anointed Jesus with this super expensive perfume, that was when Judas made the decision that Jesus had to go, that he was going to betray him. Because Jesus is not worth that kind of expenditure. He is not worth that kind of love. So all week long, Judas has been looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. By the way, this decision of Judas actually took place even before the triumphal entry itself. But what's happened is Jesus has come into the, come into the city each week. He's been with the crowds, can't get betrayed amongst the crowds, and each night, he's gone out of the city and away from the jurisdiction of the temple guards. But this will be the one time when he will be in the city, away from the crowds, under the cover of darkness, in a room. This is Judas's chance to finally betray Jesus a decision he had made much earlier, even before the triumphal entry. And he's been looking for his opportunity to do this. 
This explains, when you know this background, why Jesus will set up the Passover meal in an extremely clandestine way. So none of the disciples know where it will take place. Because if Judas knows where it will take place, he will betray Jesus, and he will betray Jesus before Jesus has a chance to have the Last Supper with his disciples. This is what's going on. So this explains what happens. And let's read the rest of the text. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. According to Luke chapter 22, verse 8, which is the parallel account, these two disciples that Jesus sends to the city are actually Peter and, and John. And apparently what Jesus has done is he has made arrangements with the owner of this house for that place to be where he will eat the, the Passover meal with his disciples. He hasn't told his disciples about that. Can't let this information go out to Judas because then Judas would betray him too early. So what the sign is, when Peter and John go into the city, there's going to be a man there waiting for them. As soon as that man sees Peter and John, he will pick up a water jar, start carrying it. That'll be the sign to Peter and John. They will follow him to the house. Incidentally, men did not carry water jars in that day. That was typically a woman's work to carry a water jar. So a man carrying a water jar would quickly stick out to them like a sore thumb in the crowd. Easy to find, easy to follow. They follow this man to the house. And you notice Jesus tells them what to say. The teacher has asked where he may eat the Passover with his disciples. Jesus never even uses his name. Don't say my name. Why? This is an undercover operation. We can't let anyone know where this is taking place. And there, they will find a uh, room that has been prepared and ready for them to eat the Passover. Incidentally, the Passover historically was not meant to be a slow meal. It was meant to be almost sort of a quick meal. Uh, maybe I should... This is going to oversimplify it, so forgive me if it comes across wrong. It was sort of like the ancient version of fast food. Look what it says about how the Passover was originally meant to be eaten. Exodus 12, 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And the idea was you have to be ready to leave. But by this time in history... Things had changed. It was not eaten in haste anymore. It had slowed down a lot. It was more like Thanksgiving meal, the way we would eat it, in a slow, reclined way. And they ate it in typical Roman fashion. They ate the meal uh, laying on what was known as a triclinia. Go ahead and put that up, Jeremy, if you could. That's a triclinia. It's a low table, and people ate on couches. Imagine that, eating on the couch. By the way, for you guys who eat on the couch during football, this is precedent right here. Okay. They would all lean on their left-hand side, 
and they would eat with their right hand, um, which is great until you're a lefty, by the way, in which case it was a little bit awkward. And before we go too far, leave that up there. According to the Gospel of John, let me tell you where Jesus sat. Jesus sat on the right side, dead smack in the middle, because he was the host of the meal. Also, according to the Gospel of John, we know where Judas sat for that meal. Judas was in, according to the Gospel of John, the position of honor, second highest person in the room, which would have been just what we would call down from Jesus right there. We also know where John, the disciple Jesus loved, sat. He would have been on the opposite side of Jesus, the second most important person after Judas in the room. Now, I'm not going to go any deeper into that for the moment, but knowing where John sits and where Jesus, or Judas sits is very important for us as we go deeper into this story. Thank you, Jeremy. Now the story continues. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Let me tell you a little bit what was uh, new in this verse. They prepared the Passover. Well, you wonder, what is there to do to prepare for a Passover? I mean, the, the triclinia, the couches are all set up, things are ready to go. Well, you have to make the food. Every good meal has good food. This meant they had to go and acquire a lamb. They had to go and sacrifice that lamb in the temple. They had to go and acquire the unleavened bread. They also had to go acquire wine. They had to acquire bitter herbs, which were meant, sort of a horseradish. And they had to make what is known as the haroseth. Now, what is that? It's real simple. It's called fruit salsa. And what happens during the meal, they would dip the unleavened bread, which is sort of like a chip, into the fruit salsa. Because chips and dip always go great together, don't they? So every time you go Mexican, think this is a little bit like what they had in the Passover. Unleavened bread dipped in a fruit salsa. Now, the meal kicks off. And the meal is going extremely well. Let's begin with this. And it was evening. He came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Peter and John have gone to this unknown location, so they can't share the address with anybody. Can't have Judas betraying early. They prepared for the Passover. Jesus shows up by walking into town, doesn't tell his disciples where they are going, shows up at the house. Everybody comes in. No reason for Judas to leave. Meal's already prepared. Jesus says, just have a seat. We're going to celebrate Passover together. They're eating the meal. Judas is in the position of honor during the meal. The meal is going well. They have chips and dip. Everything is great. And then, I think sort of between bites, Jesus drops a complete bombshell. One of you will betray me. And then I guess maybe he went back to eating. And you can picture, oh, that 
the mood in that room changed. It went from joy to everybody being instantly sick to their stomach. We've seen earlier in this gospel that Jesus has said many times that Jesus will be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and the Sadducees and that he will be died on the cross. Mark talked about that in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. But this is the first time where he finally tells his disciples how that betrayal will take place. It will take place through one of them. And the way Jesus said this, it's not apparent in the English, but it's very interesting in the Greek. One of you who, he says here, who is eating with me. And in the Greek, the way it talks about that, it's actually a reference back to Psalm 41, verse 9 in the Greek Old Testament, which says this, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That was written by King David. Did King David go through a betrayal by a close friend? Some of you will remember this. Absalom, his own son, betrayed him. But David had two close friends, one named Ahithophel and another named Hushai. When Absalom betrayed his own father, intending to steal the kingdom and kill his own father, David's close friend, Ahithophel, jumped ship with David and joined his son. Imagine what that felt to have a close friend who ate with him betray him, intending to kill him. When Jesus says it the way he does in this text, in the disciples' mind, they are instantly remembering that Old Testament quote. And he is saying, there is an Ahithophel among us. Somebody who is my closest friend who is going to betray me and take my life. Where was Judas sitting? The place of honor. Jesus' right-hand man at the meal. The story continues. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Literally one who is doing the chips and the dip, you know, the fruit salsa, with me. And you can picture how this happens. As each of them have an opportunity to be just a moment alone with Jesus, they whisper in his ear, is it me? Am, am I the one who's going to be, betray you? The Gospel of John tells us that John leaned back at that time to ask Jesus who it was who would betray him. If he was going to lean back, remember how the table was set up? That meant that if Jesus was on his left-hand side, John was the one right in front of him. So John leaned his head back into Jesus' chest. That's where he was, and said, who is it? And this is what the Gospel of John tells us took place. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it, and you know what he's dipping it into, 
So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Remember how they ate this meal. They're all leaning on their side on couches. There are only two people Jesus can reach. The people on the person on the one side, which is John, and the person on the other side. That had to be Judas. That's how we know he was in the position of honor. You can't reach anybody else when you're laying on your side. You can't go any other place. Now, Matthew gets even more descriptive. Look what it says. Judas, who would betray him, also came to Jesus and leaned and said to him, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. And a cryptic way of saying, guess what? Yep, it is you. I know you're the one who is going to betray me. Nothing's taking Jesus by surprise. Judas thinks that he's the only one who knows, yet Jesus knows his every thought. Now think about this. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him, cold-blooded murder, but how has Jesus treated Judas the whole time? In the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus washed all the disciples' feet that night, including Judas. We know that Judas has been put in the position of honor that night. We know that Jesus is kind to him and loving to him. And Jesus has even told him, I know you are going to betray me tonight. And yet he betrayed him anyway. The story continues. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Let me take a moment and just camp on that verse for a little bit. What we find is interesting is that the front part of the verse, it says that this betrayal has been written about beforehand. That God knew all about it long before it was going to take place. But yet, it would have been better if this man had not been born because he is still responsible for his choices. Sometimes in the church, we talk about God's sovereignty and our responsibility. How can both be true? Here are both of them held in tension in the same verse. Isn't it true? Judas' betrayal has been written about beforehand in ancient prophecy. But yet, Judas is still responsible for his actions of betrayal. So both of those are, two, are true. What I'm going to do for the Miss Middle section, I'm just going to read the verses and know that we're coming back next week and we're going to spend much more time on those verses when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as part of the Passover. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, we go back to the theme of the betrayal. All the disciples failed Jesus, and Peter even denied Jesus. 
It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We'll learn more about this next week. But during the Passover, the Jews sung Psalms 113 all the way through 118. The last thing they sung were Psalms 115 to 118. That's most likely what Jesus sung with his disciples at the end of the Passover when they went out. What time was it? The the Jewish uh, Mishnah says you had to be finished with the Passover sometime before midnight. We know that when the meal was pretty much done is when Jesus turned to Judas and said, you can go now and what you're going to do, do quickly. He set up the Passover with the disciples, changed it into the Lord's Supper, Now is the time when Judas can finally do what he wants, which is betray Jesus. And Jesus is the one who gives him the excuse to leave the room to do it. But what we find, it wasn't just Judas that betrayed Jesus that night. But wasn't it also the rest of the disciples? Look how it continues to unfold. And as they're on their way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away from me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. For Judas, well, it is premeditated murder. But for the other disciples, it says, you will all fall away. Interestingly, the, the way that's written in Greek, it means to fall away under pressure that what is about to happen to them is going to be a very difficult time for them, and they're going to deny Jesus and fall away from Jesus, but under pressure, not intentionally and premeditatively. But they'll still fall away from him nonetheless. And then he said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee, which I think is interesting. Jesus knows he's coming back. And then Peter comes along. Peter said to him, Oh, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Peter, so overconfident. I'm never going to deny you. I'm never going to betray you. I'm never going to fail you. And Jesus says, I know exactly what's going to happen all the time. I know Jesus is gonna, Judas was going to betray me ahead of time. I knew all of you were going to fall away from me ahead of time. I even know that you are going to deny me three times before morning. Oh, Peter, I know you're so overconfident, but I know you're going to fail me. And yet Jesus, in the face of being betrayed by Judas, being denied by Peter, having all of his close friends fall away, he never failed them. He went to the cross to die in their place for their sin to save their lives. Jesus never fails those who betray him, like you and I, because we've denied him. We've failed him. 
We may betray and fail Jesus, but folks, he will never betray and fail us. He loves us so much that even when there's a betrayal on our part, he still went to the cross and died for us. And amazingly, what did he do with Peter, the very one who denied him three times? Restored him and used him, and he became the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Folks, I don't know what failures you've had in your life. I don't know what kind of betrayals you've had to Jesus in your heart or in your actions. You may feel like Jesus is done with you. I'm going to tell you he's not. He's faithful to you. Faithful all the way to the end. Even when we failed him miserably, he still holds out his hands of forgiveness and love, saying, I died for you. I'm willing to restore you. I'm willing to still use you if you will just turn. Come and follow me. I will forgive. I will restore. There's one other thing I'd like to point out that we see in this text, and I didn't spend much time on it, but it's just exuding it from everywhere. While the world is falling apart around us, God is in complete control, and he can even take sin and use it for his good purposes. While the world was falling apart around Jesus, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew that the high priest would crucify him. He knew it all. He had it under complete control, and nothing was happening by accident, was it? And yet he took the great sin that was done against him, and he used it as the very means to save us as he died in our place. This means that even though right now your world may feel like it's out of control, it may feel like you don't know what the future holds. Jesus knows exactly what the future holds for you. In fact, Jesus has it all under control in your life. And he can take the very evil that is done to you and even the evil and the failures and betrayals that have been done by you. He can take and turn it on its head and use it for something good for his glory and for your good in this world today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that when all of your disciples failed you, you didn't fail them. You went to the cross to die for them, the betrayers. And I thank you that you don't fail us. When we have failed you repeatedly, time and again, you will not turn your back on us. You promise to forgive us and to restore us. And even after we've betrayed you, your arms to us are still open wide. Thank you for being such an amazing, forgiving, kind Savior. We ask this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.